Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme and kicking off a bank holiday weekend, John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. and WhatsApp's also available to you at 0862 Now, farmers are being asked to curb carbon emissions by 25%. The plea is part of the government's plan to slash Ireland's greenhouse gas emissions, the output in half, and we have to do it by 2030. Joining me, our political correspondent, from the Irish Sun and that is uh, Adam Higgins. Good morning to you, Adam. Good morning, Good morning Adam. Uh, you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Uh, is the deal widely accepted as a climb down by the Green Party and in particular Eamon Ryan? I think this has kind of been accepted as a compromise between uh, Eamon Ryan and the Agriculture Minister, Charlie McConnell. So you'll know from the, the newspapers over the past few days that Eamon Ryan wanted a target of 30% uh, for the agricultural sector. Minister McConnell wanted 22%, and these negotiations dragged on for quite a few days and were very difficult. So this deal was supposed to be done last week and it was pushed on until this week's cabinet and then it went past this week's cabinet into yesterday and the deal was finally done then at 25%. And you can look at that and say, look, between 28 and or between 22 and 30, 26 should really be the, the midway point. So you could say maybe Eamon Ryan has lost a point and, and Minister McConnell has gained one. But I think really this is a... a so I think the, the key thing coming out of this negotiation was that Neither side is really happy. The environmentalists say it doesn't go far enough. The farmers say it goes too far, which I think is probably the sign of a successful deal between the two leaders. But it really did go down to the wire because I know at one stage yesterday, I mean, there was talks that they may just shelve it and wait and come back in, in September and restart the negotiations again. I mean, it really went down to the wire. It really did. And it was as early as last week. Some uh, sources within the government were flagging this with me saying, look, this could be shelved and we come back to it in September because it was those negotiations were seen as so difficult and neither minister wanted to budge. And I think it's a credit to the ministers uh, how they've actually gone about these negotiations, because a lot of the time you'll see these things can spill over into the media and it can become very difficult. But both ministers, I think, handled themselves very well in these negotiations, which were clearly a difficult, difficult negotiation. I mean, not to, to over-egg the pudding here, but this is a, a situation and an issue that really could have pushed this government to rock it to the part where it may have fallen, because we know Green Party TDs wanted a high... Uh, 
percentage out of agriculture. We know that rural uh, backbench TDs in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael had already flagged in the Sunday papers that they have, they would be willing to lose the party whip over this issue. This is a really divisive issue and a difficult one. And I suppose we'll see over the next coming days uh, how it plays out now amongst the members of those two parties. And uh, and now the real work uh, begins in getting the farming community to achieve uh, the cuts. I mean, many were even seeing a 22% cut in emissions as a real challenge. Yes, and I think the IFA is not happy about this at all, saying that the, the extra 3% is going to cost farmers in the region of about $2 billion a year. Now, their figures that they're get, the IFA are giving out, I'm not sure where they've calculated them from. And I think the government are pushing... So you'll see Minister McConnell out over the last few days and you'll see him again over the next few days, I'd imagine, saying that, look, we want to back the farmers and back family farmers to to make these changes. So what they plan to do is make it financially in the farmers' interest to make these changes. So you're talking about more revenue streams in the likes of solar energy, keeping carbon in the ground through forestry, that anaerobic digestion in creating biomethane to replace the gas that we buy from elsewhere, those sort of situations. But... In the end, this will be a massive change for the the farming uh, industry. But I think while this whole debate over the past few days and our conversation now that I'm having with you is around agriculture, massive targets were set for the other industries as well. And I think it's going to be a real challenge across the board in in trying to address these. Yeah, and actually a lot of our interviews uh, over the last number of weeks on this has been that, uh, why is it all about agriculture? And we had, you know, some people saying that it's all finger pointing against uh, the farmers and that there are other sectors and other sectors have, have signed up. What are the targets for the other sectors? Yeah, I'll give you a quick run through of the of the sectors and the targets that they've got. So the electricity, the energy creation sector has a massive target of 75% reduction. So that is largely going to come from us moving away from that uh, traditional fossil fuels and instead going for offshore wind energy, uh, wave energy, solar energy, those sort of things. So that I think will probably be one of the easier ones because it makes financial sense with the prices of fossil fuels at the moment, it makes sense to switch to those uh, uh, cheaper alternatives that are made here in Ireland. The transport sector, I think, is a fascinating one. They have a 50% target, and you've got seven and a half years to hit that. And I think you look around now, the, the electric cars are coming in a big way, but are they coming that quick? public transport and the massive uh, issues they have with trying to roll out the likes of the extensions to the Lewis and Dublin's extensions to the rail networks, the Bus Connects program, they are becoming divisive issues and difficult to get over the line and they have seven and a half years to hit that 50% target, which I think will be a difficult one. The construction industry then is 45%. Residential industry, that's it. That's our, our homes and, and people in their own homes, that's 40%. Industries across board, across the board, 35%. And then at the lowest end, agriculture, 25%. Okay, somebody wants to know, do, do, the, the cuts that you're, you've just mentioned, does that mean farmers are going to have to cull their cattle? If so, this is barbaric. The damage to the planet has already been do, done. There's some Jim and Dunmanway. Was there any talk about a cull to the national herd? This question has been fired at the two ministers time and time again over the past few days. And both of them have said over and over again, that this does not mean a cut to the national herd. So it does not mean farmers will have to, you know, reduce the, the number of cows they have in their fields. But what I would say is some of these initiatives are going to make it financially viable for people to switch from, instead of having X amount of cows, they're going to switch part of their fields to maybe forestry or whatever else it might be, solar power, those sort of things. So I think the aim of this is to make it so financially attractive that people will want to make that switch. 
Okay, but Bert, no one will be forced to reduce the, the, the herd. Yeah, and I, I did hear the agriculture minister uh, say last night that the agriculture targets will be voluntary and it will allow farmers to play their part. And I, I'm interested in how he's going to expand on that. But he did say there will be generous financial incentives in return, uh, in return with an additional financial package in the in the budget. Somebody else has a question for Adam. Uh, does Adam know which sector will have to pick up the five percent that the agricultural sector will not now be doing? if they're only doing 25 and not 30 percent that's a great question and so what i think has happened here is the government has put uh five million um pieces of energy into this um a black box they're calling of unallocated targets and emission reductions so basically they're putting five million here on the long finger saying we don't know where that's going to come from when minister ryan was asked about this at the press conference last night he said that other countries in europe are doing the exact same thing they're putting a bunch of um uh, emissions reductions on the long finger, hoping that in the next few years we will learn how to get better at this. New technologies will come along, and that's where we'll make up those reductions. So really, they've taken those few percentage that uh, maybe they wouldn't have got out of agriculture and other sectors, and they're saying we will figure out how to get them as we go. Yeah, and of course, as, uh, now that all the sector targets um, have been set, we do know the policies will change from year to year depending on the progress that's made on reducing emissions by certain sectors. Listen, Adam, we really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Adam Higgins, who is the political correspondent with the Irish Sun, uh, joining us on what was finally, finally uh, signed off. The farming community as... Uh, Adam said, are really not that happy. You know, the Irish Farming Association, their president, uh, Tim Cullinan, said the target agreed uh, yesterday is all about survival of the government rather than survival of rural Ireland. He said it's a potentially devastating blow for Irish farmers and for the rural economy. He said the government has agreed to a target without any pathway to get there or any budget to assist farmers to reduce emissions. They have no idea, he says, of the economic and social impact of uh, yesterday's decision on the farming sector are indeed on rural Ireland. So I think, as Adam said, this is not the end of it. They have signed on the dotted, dotted line but I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about it. Your thoughts and comments welcomed 0818 103 103. And a couple of people are saying, Patricia, you're talking about all of the different targets that have been set by all of the different sectors. Are we hearing anything about aviation? Somebody says no word about planes. Patricia, what about the planes in the sky? Says another listener. When you think of what comes out of the back of those massive engines and no mention of them, anywhere in the climate action plan. I'll just give you a couple of updates on stories that we've been covering on the uh, programme. The AIB Bank one, I have to say this one made me slightly smile this morning. The chief executive of the AIB, that's a gentleman by the name of Colin uh, Hunt, earlier this morning uh, came out and said they got it wrong when they announced that they were going to turn 70 of the 170 branches into cashless outlets. And I quote from him, he said, we got it wrong. The lesson for us from this is that we moved far too fast. Colin Hunt said the plan will not be revisited and existing branch services will continue as they are today. He said we are not going to run ahead of our customers again. And then he gave a guarantee that the branches will remain in place for as long as he is in the helm and for as long as he is the chief executive of AIB. He said I give you that guarantee and that will come as welcome news for the staff of those AIB branches 
but for the customers as well. But what was interesting was he was speaking as the AIB Bank was announcing profit after tax for the first six months of this year of 477 million euro and that profit line is up 74% on the same period last year. It's incredible. So they couldn't even say that they were doing it we're loss making, we're making money, we're, you know, we're losing money, we've losses at the bank, we have to protect our customers. They have a, a staggering, a huge, huge profit, but to be up 74%. Anyway, he's given the guarantee because people were worried that when the decision got reversed last week, people were saying, oh, watch this space, they'll, they'll do something else, they, you know, they'll, they'll close them slowly rather than do the 70 together. They might start doing them one and two at a time, but he's saying no, that all of those branches will remain as is. So that would be welcome, certainly by all of the customers of the banks that were under threat of going cashless. And then the other story I think that we got the probably the biggest reaction from is the story about this little Jack Russell called Kim and her owner, the 85-year-old former Garda, retired Garda from County Roscommon, Donal uh, Rogers. There's an update on that story in that Donal Rogers has formally withdrawn his appeal to the High Court against the ruling that ordered that his Jack Russell be put down after he bit a walker. However, Donald Rogers has declared he won't give up and he's now exploring other legal avenues to prevent his dog from, from being uh, put down. Now, I, I, I'm wondering, is it anything to do with the cost side of it? I know there was a GoFundMe page to try to help him cover the costs, but anyone who's ever gone to the High Court will tell you it's huge, huge sums of money. So I don't know if that was one of the reasons why Donald Rogers yesterday decided to formally withdraw his appeal to the High Court. But there is more further information about this case, and I suppose it was one of the things when we started talking about we did have some people saying do we know all of the details involved in this case and I know when I asked Dogs Trust if they had an opinion on it they said that they didn't want to comment until they knew all of the details of the case it seems that the woman involved she's a woman in her 60s from Clonmel who we know was visiting the Roscommon area she has now come out and said that it wasn't just a nip by the Jack Russell she was actually the five year old dog actually she was bitten she required eight stitches she said she was bitten from behind with Without provocation and without warning, she did attend the local hospital in Roscommon just after she'd been bitten. She also had to attend hospital services in Tipperary where she lives. She was in court yesterday representing herself and she asked the Deputy Master of the High Court if the withdrawal meant that the destruction order remains in place and if this was the end of the legal proceedings regarding the case. The Deputy Master of the High Court said that she assumed the order did intend remain in place, adding that while the case mentioned before her was an end with any potential legal actions where it was now a matter for Donald Rogers. Now, Donald Rogers, in an open letter to the court, has said that he would be willing to get the dog assessed and stated that if an expert says that putting this Jack Russell to sleep is the only safe option. Then he said, I will deliver Kim to the dog warden to be put down. God, it must have been heartbreaking for him to write that. He's also offered to put security, such as fencing and a gate around his house. He's also said he would keep Kim muzzled whenever she's outside of the property's boundaries. He said he would take the dog to a series of dog training sessions. And in the letter, he said, the real question I'm asking is whether is, is there any 
outcome that would satisfy you. This is obviously to the lady that the dog bit other than Kim being destroyed. If the answer is yes, then I'll do anything that is required. Please just tell me what I need to do. So he's very much appealing to the woman who was bitten by the dog to please. Uh, he's looking for clemency and he'll do anything that he can to make sure that Kim doesn't bite anybody else. So that's just the latest on that. But just to let people know, he has withdrawn his case from the High Court. As I say, don't know if it's to do with costs or not. 0818103103. You can text or WhatsApp. 0862103103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Some of your uh, texts in no dog attacks unless it's provoked. Uh, no, oh, sorry, I know what you're saying. No dog will ever attack unless it's provoked. Well, the lady in question reckoned that the dog, Kim, came up from behind, bit her on the back of the leg, uh, didn't give any warning in that, wasn't growling or anything like that. And uh, she's claiming wasn't provoked. They were just walking past the house. This listener disputes that and said no dog uh, will ever attack unless it is somehow provoked. Even though I think what the owner of the dog was was trying to say was that it got spooked. It got, you know, was asleep in the garden and suddenly sort of heard this activity outside the house and because of that. So I think that's where Donald, the elderly man, was coming uh, from. Uh, this uh, listener really hopes that the dog is not put to sleep. Now, families unite for services and support. It's also known as FUS. Our group set up to support parents of children with disabilities in their fight for adequate services. The group are once again planning to bring their fight to the streets of Cork with a protest planned for August the 20th in the Grand Parade. And joining me from FUS is Orla Christian. Good morning to Orla. Good morning, Patricia. How you're, are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Do you feel as families that you and your children are forgotten by the state and hence you need to take your protest out onto the streets? Absolutely, we are forgotten by the government and it's absolutely a total disaster at this stage. Um, my son was... I've been on with you before, Patricia. You have indeed. And... He's had no services for the last four years. Um, little to no services for the last four years. And to be quite honest with you, I have been fighting for my son's needs and services all his life because he was never getting enough. Um, and it was just, it was getting to the point where we needed to unite because we weren't listening to individually, but as a group, we are getting somewhere. That's good to hear. OK, I suppose remind us, Orla, about your son, his specific needs, and what are the urgent therapies that he most needs now? Um, as I said, my son is mine. He's a rare genetic syndrome. He has a brain injury. He's intellectually and physically disabled. Um, he's a wheelchair user. He needs regular physiotherapy and... He needs occupational therapy, but that's not up. That's not a necessity. But his necessities are um, physiotherapy and speech and language therapy. And you're and and he got assessed. It, this isn't you saying I think my son needs physiotherapy. I think my son needs speech and language. He's been assessed that yeah. this is vital for this yeah. little boy. He was assessed many years ago by his service provider. Um, and then we swapped service providers because it was, he wasn't 
Seuss book in the one that he was in. So we were assessed again by our service provider and physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy and dietitian were all involved. And social work was involved as well in early intervention. But ever since we transferred to the school team, there's been little to no therapy available for my son or for any child that has that is still going out. And we, I, I just find that so frustrating on behalf of parents and we constantly hear it's an assessment of needs and you think, OK, we're, we're on the right path now. We know what our son or daughter needs and then you get put on a waiting list. Yeah. Like, my son's speech and language therapist had said to me that we will do some sessions with him on his device um, before the end year. That never happened. So he has a device? He has a communication device. He got it this time last year and he's had 20 minutes on it with the speech and language therapist in a year. And who paid for the communications device? The HSC. See what... So okay, so they funded this device. Your son gets it. This can be his communication tool. This yeah. this device will will be his voice. Should yeah. be his voice. Yeah. So they give it they give it to him, and then nobody shows him how to use it or how it works. Or yeah, I'm expected to show him. I'm not very technically minded. Like I know how to use it, but there's not enough hours in the day. Like, my son has medical needs as well. Very severe medical needs. And there isn't just enough hours in the day. We're on a waiting list for private speech and language therapy for, I'm going to say approximately three months, maybe longer. Like, it should not be put on the private sector that children are needing services. And when you say you're on a private list, does that mean you're going to fund it? Yeah. And there's even a waiting list on the private sector? There is, yeah. And, and listen, I know if I was to contact the HSE this morning, I can, t- I can almost tell you word for word what they'll, what they'll say. They'll, they'll come back and say, you know, why they accept that these waiting lists are long uh, and they have sympathy for all of the families, but their problem is they can't rec- recruit staff. Because they're not paying them enough. They are not listening to what they want and need. And they would rather go to the private sector because they actually want to work with children. They don't want to be constantly doing paperwork. And that's what's happening within the HSE system? Yeah. Like, when I was last speaking to you, Michael was going to private physiotherapy. And I've currently stopped that because we're waiting for an operation on his discs and we're waiting for Botox. I don't I have not heard from his orthopedic surgeon to when that is going to take place. I specifically asked would it happen before September? I was told no. Not a hope. Not a hope. Because I don't want Michael missing out on too much school. He was out of school for the whole of COVID, only went back last September 
and then he was out for two weeks because of his operation. And and he needs that. He needs the interaction with. He needs the interaction. Yeah. yeah. And luckily enough, we have a teacher this year that is going to work with him with the device. Brilliant, brilliant. Because I'm I'm assuming, um, Orla, is there is there a huge level of frustration on his behalf that he yeah. can't, yeah, that he can't communicate. Like, we were down with a friend, um, yesterday, and he was so frustrated and shy. Everyone was talking because her two, her three children can talk. One is, um, special needs as well, but not as severe as Michael. And like she was going up to Michael, and she was like, Michael, say yes. And like you could see the frustration on Michael's face, not due to her being constantly asking, but because he couldn't do it. I know. God help him. God help him. Would would personalised budgets work where a family could try and source and pay for their own therapies? Yeah, it would work for my family. Yeah. 100% work for my family because the money will be separate. I have to literally scrimp and save to send Michael to any sort of sort of therapy and like I'm only on carers alone like it's personalised but it's, it's the way to go yeah, I saw them work in Australia extremely well, extremely well. And I've, I've always, I can't understand why, why, because we put so much money into the health service. I can't understand why that model of care is not being uh, looked at. And Ordo, along with the other families that are in your group, uh, Foss, are you hearing from any parents absolutely exhausted, trying to mind their own children while at the same time fighting for services? And and, and, and I'm kind of asking this question thinking, I can hear it in you, your own voice, when you say there isn't enough hours in the day. There isn't enough hours in the day. And like parents who have multiple children, both neurotypically and with additional needs, they are at the end of their tether. Like my partner is in hospital with stress at the moment and other issues and it's all because of it's all related down to stress and not having enough time in day. It's cruel. It's, ab- it's absolutely cruel. Okay, so you're going to protest. You had a protest was it last month or the month before? Yeah, I actually for the last protest I actually went up to Dublin to make a point that you- that families are at the end of their tether, they're willing to travel to fight for services. And I was for, I was fighting for the parents that could not make any protest because their child is too complex, is on palliative care at home with no support from the HSC. I was thinking of friends of mine that I know personally that are unable to attend protests. Because they can't bring their child out and they've no one to look after their child. Yeah. So who do you, who else do you, would you like to see join you in your protest at the end, at the end of August? Um, we have support from Sinn Féin and um, Solidarity. We want everybody out there. We need allies. Whether you have special needs people in your family, we need a member of family out there with us, fighting with us, so that Michal Martin will listen. He didn't listen in uh, Cork when he was in Cork. He actually tripped over um, 
the child that was next to my son. Didn't even acknowledge either of the children, any of the children that were there. He is not responsible enough to be in the position that he is in. He does not care. Ah, well, I don't. I, 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 that's they're very strong words now, uh, Orla. You know, because I know he spent nearly an hour and a half with a, with the sister of two little autistic boys yesterday in the doll, and and he came across as a very caring man. He does the best that he can do. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it, it didn't look like he did. Well, well, when he was visiting Cork. Well, yeah. He well, us. yeah. He hasn't responded to our letters. Well, I, I I don't know what that's about, but I but I I, I think you're wrong in saying he doesn't care. If he does. He's. I mean, they're all. I think everybody in the government they're they're trying to do the best the best that that they can. But I just think it goes back to the huge amount of money that we pump into the HSE, and it just seems to go into a big black hole. And families like you then are struggling and constantly struggling on a daily basis. Okay, so it's the twentieth of August on the Grand Parade. OK, and we, were, we will remind listeners again uh, closer to the time. Listen, Orla, I let you go. Thank you for that, though. And uh, look after yourself as well. You need to be, we need to, who, who cares for the carers? Somebody needs to look after you as well. Uh, take care and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Orla Christian, who is a member of Families Unite for Services and Support. 0818 103 103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. According to figures from the Department of Social Protection, there are more than 15,000 people have been on job seekers' allowance for over 10 years in this country, with at least 700 of them here in Cork. Breed O'Brien is with the Irish National Organisation of the Unemployed, and she says, extra support is needed for these people and Breed O'Brien uh, joins me. Good morning to you Breed. Good morning Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome. Do you believe there are many reasons why a person would be unemployed for such a long period of time? There are yes I think there can be a, a variety of reasons. It, people face discrimination because of the community they're from. That can be quite difficult say, for people from the traveller community to get access to employment. People also face difficulties maybe if they have health issues, could be mental health issues. Um, if somebody maybe has been unemployed for a long time, figures in the Central Statistics Office have highlighted the fact that duration of unemployment has a big impact on people's access to employment and it came out as the highest reason for people not being able to access in employment in the recent equality studies that they've done. And why, um, why do you believe it's more difficult to secure a job the longer you're unemployed? Um, I think employers, when they see a CV and see gaps, kind of go, hmm. And then if they maybe have another CV in and there's no gaps, they go for that person. Um, and then likewise, you know, getting a job is a job in itself. Some people are great at it, great at presenting themselves, doing a CV, doing a covering letter, been interviewed. Most people aren't. And I think the longer you're out of work and if you haven't had success in getting work, maybe people aren't replying to your, your applications. That knocks your confidence yeah, and yeah. it becomes harder and harder. Uh, yeah, I, I think the confidence knock is just shocking. And there's, and there's always that old adage as well, isn't there, that it's easier to find a job from a job. Yes, and that's certainly feedback we've had from unemployed people over the years. Even that very simple thing of word of mouth. If you're in a job 
uh, you might hear of another job somewhere else mm. or somebody that you worked with has moved on and you're seeing where they've moved on. So you're thinking, oh, and this job's going there too. Oh, that looks interesting. While if you're out of work, you're out of all of those loops and those connections and it can be particularly difficult. And then maybe if you don't, if within your own personal circumstances and family circumstances, others are out of work, often people will say, uh, you know, that kind of contact and knowing somebody helps you get a job. Um, a bit at a workshop there a while back and one of the, 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 the facilitators asked people to stand up and to remain standing if you got access to your first job through a contact. You know, and the amount, a lot of people stayed standing. So those kinds of things are really important. And if you're from a family, from a community that maybe hasn't had much joy in getting access to work, you don't have those connections. Yeah, so good. all of yeah. that is a cumulative impact. Yeah, and we, yeah, and listen, we've all known people who's got a family member into into the play, into into their place of work. Do you believe ageism is alive and well in the jobs market, Breed? It is, yes. I mean, it was very striking in, in when the when with the pandemic unemployment payment figures. At one stage, it was one in four people were under twenty five on the payment, and then when they changed the rules and we it looked like we were starting to get out of all of that, even though I know it's still with us. Uh, but you know, it looked like things were moving on, and and they would they stopped students had been able to access that payment. The one in figure four figure then moved to people 55 plus. So we definitely have, you know, there's definitely an issue of ageism in our labour market. There seem to be a variety of reasons for that. One, maybe employers assuming, oh yes, somebody they worked back then and their skill set really isn't, you know, what I need now. Others seem to be, oh, maybe they'll know more than me. There seems to be a whole variety of factors at play as to why that happens. But that certainly has been a challenge over the years and one that remains to be addressed properly. And because so many industries have job vacancies at the moment, you know, and and I know the minute I mentioned that you're going to be joining me on the programme today, you know, people, people, some people find it very hard to understand why anyone would be unemployed in the current times. Um, all employers will decide who they wish to or not wish to employ. People may have a particular image in their head of what they want their potential employee be, to be, and the people who apply may not fit that image. They might. You know, so people might not have the experience, the skill set. People might be looking for younger staff, older people are applying or vice versa. Um, so there can be a whole range of reasons why maybe people don't get in the door. Um, so the, so it can be quite difficult to, to, to find work. Um, and as I said earlier, it's something some people, I know some people seem to be great at it, you know, and then, but I think the majority of us aren't really. You know, it's yeah. something people need help with, need advice with how you write up your CV, how you do your cover letter, you know, kind of how you prepare for, 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 for the for the interview, how you make sure that when you apply for a job, when the potential employer sees it, they kind of go, oh, yeah, this person actually wants to come and work with us. Maybe if people have generic CVs or cover letters and that's all they have at their disposal and they send those out, I think a lot of employers kind of go, oh yeah, grand, yeah, and it go, ends up in the bin. And the person mightn't even get to the interview stage, let alone get get into getting the job. Yeah. So, the, you know, so all of that, all of those, that, those 
those factors impact on people being able to get Yeah, and, to get and, and, and I knew we were going to get in, you know, a text like this saying, I was a secretary, I lost my job, I ended up becoming a cleaner. No excuses, pe- people. I've had gaps on my, on my CV. There's no excuses. If you want to find a job, you will find a job. Someone else says, my stamps ran out after 10 months and my job seekers was stopped. How do people have enough stamps to put them on job seekers for over 10 years? Okay, this, that's two different payments. One is the the social insurance payment, so that's job seekers benefit, and that does the, the duration on it was reduced in the 08 crisis, um, and so job seekers allowance is the means test to payment. Yeah. So yeah. some people don't make the transition from job seekers benefit to job seekers allowance because their personal circumstances or maybe family circumstances. Um, so anybody who's on the job seekers allowance payment by and large, is living in circumstances where there are a few other means. Isn't there a part-time job incentive scheme for those out of work over 15 months? There is, and it's not something that the department sort of promote. There's only ever a, a couple of hundred people on it. Um, it could make the difference to somebody maybe in, particularly maybe somebody's living in an area where there isn't a huge amount of full-time employment, but there is part-time employment on the job seekers payment you're expected to find full time that can be easier said than done depending on where you live and the nature of the work available in the in the where you're living um, so yes that is a scheme that people can avail of um, it gives people a floor and then they can earn on, on top of that yeah. um, we're always surprised how underused it is and but it's certainly not something that I think the department maybe inform people of to the, to the extent that they should. Okay, but There's you... also another payment that can be helpful for people. It's called payment pending wages. It's paid through the supplementary welfare system. If somebody may be, so people's welfare payments are weekly. If maybe they do secure a job and it's a monthly, uh, paid monthly, the wage is paid monthly, and that gap and you don't have other means, you can apply for a payment just to fill that gap to help you, uh, you know, be able to make that find yourself in, in, in difficulties. And and so that, again, is a support that's there. We feel it's, you know, on the scale of things, it's small, but that could make a massive difference to somebody who, making that move. OK, uh, yeah, and a lot of people are agreeing with, you, agreeing with you. When you've been out of work for a long time, it can be soul-destroying. Uh, you completely mm-hmm. lose your, your, your confidence. Yeah. And then it's to just, it's to, it's to build up that confidence, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. what it's all about. All right. Okay, Bree, yeah. listen, thank you for that. And you, and obviously at the um, at your organisation, the, the Irish National Organisation of Unemployed, you're always available to give advice to people. Yes, indeed. Yes. People can contact us through our website, which is www.inou.ie or our phone number 018560088. Okay, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us, Bree. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That Good is uh, Breed O'Brien of the Irish National Organisation for the Unemployed. Somebody said stop their allowance and watch them find work very quickly. Someone else says I'm 52. I found a job when I lost my job during the pandemic. Like older people, we're more reliable and we're more hard working. Hi Patricia, if you're living in a small town and everybody knows you, no one will give you a chance because all the people have been in those jobs for years. Then there's exploitation and this whole social welfare system holds you back along with house, uh, along with the HAP payment if people are trying to watch the 
the means and the money coming into the house. People take that into consideration. They're afraid to go to work in case they lose other benefits. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 coming up in the next hour. We're going to be discussing how some supermarkets have decided to remove the best before on their fruit and uh, veg. Do you religiously stick to best before dates and do you just simply throw things out if the best before date is gone? What is the right and what is the wrong thing to do? Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Latest radio ratings are in. And thanks to your loyal listening, we at C103 are feeling really good. (laughs) Yes. Hello, you legend. How are you? (laughs) Not too bad. How are you today? You make me laugh. They say you're finished in this town if Patricia doesn't. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you so much. You've made my day. 227,000 people listen to C103 and Cork's 96FM every week. Source, General Law, Ipsos, MRBI 2022-2. Thank you for listening and giving C103 that feel-good factor every day. Oh my God, you've made my day. Thank you, Martina, you're the best. Brilliant, thank you very much. Fantastic, fantastic. I just mean to tell you that you absolutely made me laugh. From the home of Cork's greatest hits, C103. Hashtag Choose Radio. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A lot of reaction to my interview with Breed O'Brien in the last hour from the Irish National Organisation of the Unemployed and focusing on the fact that there are 15,000 people who've been unemployed in this country for 10 years or more and at particularly now at a time when we're almost if we're not at what's deemed full employment full employment is when 4% or less of people are on are on the live register that's deemed full employment and we know that there are various industries that are screaming out for workers I think in the hospitality sector are there 40,000 vacancies still and there's going to be a huge problem within hospitality when the young people go back to school and the young people go back to college because many hotels and businesses are only operating this summer because they've got students working and those students will be heading back September into October heading back to either full-time secondary school education or going back into a third level education and that's going to leave massive gaps of workers in the hospitality sector so people struggle with the fact how can 15,000 people be long-term unemployed but as Breed O'Brien was um, trying to explain to us it's just a myriad of different reasons why some people just literally they try as best they can and they can't find work are there within that mix a group of people who don't want to work of course of course there are but she I think is trying to campaign on behalf of the people who'd love to go to work but just find it very hard to find a job just let me give you a sample of some of the texts and calls in Eileen is in Skibbereen how are these people allowed to stay on job seekers for 10 years or more I was on it a number of years ago and I kept getting Eileen said harassed to go into the social welfare office to sign up for various courses and then some of these courses would lead to employment uh, but I was never allowed to stay longer on job seekers for more than six months without having to do some kind of uh, a, a course um, and that kept happening at least every six months I was made to do another course and another course that was four years ago I'm sure these people who are 10 years or more have done lots of courses as well I don't think you were just being targeted uh, Eileen but for some reason they do the courses and they still don't get any jobs Dermot in Carrick Tool I lost my job a few years ago 
I was working in the financial markets. I couldn't obtain a job locally and with a small family moving to Dublin or overseas to London, for example, wasn't a viable option for me at the time because of the cost. So I changed my career totally and I moved into the hospitality sector. And while the money was less, I'm enjoying it. And overall, while the job has its stresses, less stressful than when I worked in the financial sector. The hours can be long. But Dermot in Carrie Tools says, says there's no excuse for people to be unemployed today. Orla in Mitchellstown says we are too generous in this country when it comes to our social welfare payments, lower them and then watch people go out and find work. Dermot is in Ballinlock and says, I agree with Reid O'Brien on your programme this morning. I am in my late 50s, lost my job due to the company doing restructuring. I got my redundancy, so I am not in the worst position, but I would still like to work. Even if it's not in the profession that I was currently in, I will be willing to work in another sector. However, whenever I apply, nothing. I asked a few friends of mine and they say, while it's not openly stated, it is due to Dermot's age being in his late uh, 50s. And uh, uh, also the younger you are, the less money they have to offer you, says Dermot in Ballon Lock, who reckons that's one of the reasons, even though we had another listener who came in straight away and said that they are in their 50s and got a job and, and actually said that where she is working, it's widely known that the employers like older people because we're more, more reliable and we're hardworking. Now, this person was in their early 50s. They was 52. So maybe there's a difference between early 50s and late 50s. I don't know. Somebody else says, stop the allowance simple as either clean toilets for a living or else you get no uh, money. And then there's a couple of people who wants, want to know how to contact uh, Breed O'Brien. OK, the organisation is the Irish National Organisation for the Unemployed. So they have a really good website, inou.ie, which stands obviously for the Irish National Organisation for the Unemployed, INOU. They have a helpline, it's a Dublin number, 01. 856 That's 856 if you want to contact them. But I was just looking at their website and they have a really good website with a lot of information on it as well. On the agricultural sector and what has happened with the targets finally getting signed off yesterday, 25% farming organisations were saying 22% and even at 22 they said it would be a challenge. So that's why a lot of the farming organisations and farmers are not happy with the 25% that was signed up for yesterday. Jim in Crosshaven said, we produce some of the best food in the world in this country. I just hope with all of this talk of emissions and cuts, we don't ruin our food production and hand it over to other countries who are not as efficient as Ireland as. Danny in Balancholic says the worrying thing with the emission cuts is that it will lead to an increase in the cost of food production, uh, which in turn will lead to higher prices in supermarkets if people are struggling with food costs as it is. Wait and see how they will fare out in the next few years. That's Dan, Danny and Balancholic's worry. Donny says the 25% that they signed up to is a joke as it will never happen. The Department of Agriculture enforce rules, but nothing is done about it. For example, farmers were told to put in massive drains in their lands to drain the land and now they want wet lands. Grants were handed out to get rid of ditches and now they want them to put the ditches back. It'll take years to sort out the 
problems within the agricultural sector. Siobhan Informoy is worried that food will increase. She said she watched an interview on TV with Pat McDonough of Supermax saying that food prices will increase. Siobhan Informoy said that's a huge worry for her with her family. Tim in Middleton. So here we go again, more targets and none of them will be met, says uh, Tim. Tom and Donnerill says, look to the sky, satellites, rockets going up in the sky, planes going up in the sky. Surely those rockets and satellites are producing radiation. I never hear anybody talking about that when we are talking about climate uh, change. John in Blackpool says, Hi Patricia, just wondering about Minister Eamon Ryan. We see him on his bicycle heading into the Dáil every day. I'm often wondering to myself, where are his security staff? Are they on bicycles as well or are they driving behind him in a car? I don't know what security Eamon Ryan is, Minister for Agriculture, um, our Minister, he's not Agriculture, Minister for the Environment and Minister for Transport. I don't know what security detail he actually has, uh, John, but thank you for your uh, text. Hi, Patricia, the Minister for Agriculture has a big, big problem and it's the fact that Harvest 2020 started in 2008. That was seven years too early and the expansion was linked and the expansion linked to Harvest 2020 is like receiving stolen goods the minister is in trouble whether he knows it or not okay some of your texts let's look at some of your whatsapps uh, coming into us Heidi says Patricia well I think it's about time the farmer and all of rural Ireland gets together to take on Minister Eamon Ryan and his green plans. They said we have to try and make him understand that at this time in the in the crisis we are in, it should be all put to one side till we've gotten over the current issues we are living through. We are a democratic country and the Green Party can't just look to what they want for government. They should be listening to the people of the country. The Greens tend to forget the global elite when they're rushing around in jets and doing what they want and then preaching to the rest of us about what we should do. We should look at our freedoms too. They've been wiped away by these global elite. Again, it is a few against the many. 0818103103 and we're still getting in commentary to do with Donal Rogers, the 85-year-old retired Gardaí whose dog is under threat. The Jack Russell, uh, Russell is under threat of being put to sleep for biting that woman and we're now changing nipping to biting because according to the woman she had to get eight stitches so it was more than a nip and uh, we know yesterday he has formally withdrawn his appeal to the High Court and I was pondering on the fact it wasn't stated in the High Court was it to do with the cost because anyone that ever goes to the High Court will know how much it, how much it would cost. And I suppose he was fearful if he lost the case, would he end up losing his home and losing a lot more than his dog at the end of it all. So I'm wondering, is costs involved? Sean says, how easy would it, would it be to set up a GoFundMe page to help that poor man fight the case? There was a GoFundMe page set up. I think it went to about 7,500, which wouldn't be anything near what you'd need for a High Court case. But from what I what I've discovered there, there is a GoFundMe page to try to help him get the money together so that he can put up this electronic fence around the property to prove that he's trying to do everything he can to make sure that his Jack Russell won't get out and that it won't harm anybody else. Hi Patricia. Oh, no, that's on a different issue. There was another text in to do with the dog. Uh, hi Patricia. I'm wondering about this dog incident case. What will happen if this dog is not put down. Now, it's been court orders that the dog must be put down. This sister is, is 
worried that if Donald Rogers somehow wins and somehow gets the decision to put the dog to sleep, if he gets that decision reversed, this North Cork listener says, will we see other dogs then not put down if they bite somebody else? Because a precedent will have been set. Before you know it, there'll be dogs biting everyone and getting away with it. The simple answer is put the dog down and send a message out to all other dog owners. That's from a North Cork listener. While somebody else says what is really coming out of this case is that man Donald really loves his dog. Are they going to put the dog to prison or what? Well, there's no talks of locking the dog up and the dog is still with Kim is still with Donald. There's no talks about that. He's just got kind of got to stay trying to fight uh, so that the dog isn't put to sleep. And Donald said yesterday that his fight goes on. He's just trying to look at other ways to prevent the dog from being put down. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862103103. C103 Jobs. A van driver is wanted. This is for a busy veterinary wholesale business that's based in Mallow. CVs, please, to Douglas at acravat.ie. Irish Pharmaceutical Services are looking for people to join their service team. Now, it may suit a second or third year apprentice or somebody with a mechanical or electrical experience CVs and a cover letter to compressors at ips.ie. Desi's Tires there in Carrigaline. They've got a vacancy for an assistant manager and senior fitters. Please email paul at desistires.ie and Casey's Furniture in Cork they've got a vacancy for a stockroom assistant CVs to bernie.hennessy at Casey's.ie. you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103 Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie Supervalue and Marks and Spencers have removed their best before dates on some of their fruit and vegetables that they sell in order to reduce food waste, leaving it up to customers to decide whether the products are safe to eat. To find out how safe food feels about all of this, I'm joined by Dr. Mairead McCann, who is Food Science Technical Executive with Safe Food. Good morning to you, Mairead. Good morning, Patricia. Now, I'm very well, thank you. Do you welcome this move and would you like to see other supermarkets follow suit? Well, I suppose, you know, we would be all about reducing food waste when where possible. Um, I suppose best before dates, I suppose leave it up to the consumer to judge whether the food is good enough quality to eat or not. Where we're concerned is um, the use-by dates. I suppose people need to follow use-by dates. They're about the safety of food. And it's a deadline. It tells us when the food will become unsafe to eat. So I suppose even if your food passes the sniff test, which some people like to use with flying colours, we still have to rigidly stick to use by dates on food. I suppose they could be contaminated with harmful bacteria and they could make you ill. I suppose use by dates are worked out by scientific testing. I suppose that's that's important to remember. And use by dates are on parcels of food that are scientifically in the fridge, like cooked meat dairy products and prepared salads, things like this. So um, I suppose you just, I suppose to remember you shouldn't use food past their use-by date. Whereas a best before date, as I said, gives you a little bit more wiggle room. It refers to the quality of food. So food might, will still be safe to eat, but I suppose the flavour, the smell, the texture may be affected. 
of the food. So it's, it's usually on foods with a longer shelf life, like pasta, your tinned foods, breakfast cereals, biscuits, things like that. So I suppose bacteria don't usually grow in these foods, so food poisoning is not typically a concern. But, but that's where that's yeah. where the confusion is, I think. The, it's the difference between the use-by and the best before. And I think when somebody sees the best before, they're assuming it's a use-by and they'll put it in the bin. Yeah, well, I suppose, I suppose the golden rule to remember is that use-by is a deadline. You must use food by this. But whereas a best before is more of a guideline, it's up to you to decide, you know, whether to use the food or not. It's perfectly fine to use it after in terms of food safety. But as I say, the quality may be different. Would you be concerned, though, about the the amount of waste food in Ireland? I mean, I think the EPA estimates one million tonnes a year we throw out. Yeah, Patricia, and I suppose research we previously done shown that up to 30% of the food we purchase is thrown away on a regular basis. And I think it was calculated that up to €20 a week is wasted on food being thrown out. So I suppose what we'd recommend is to avoid wasting food when you're at the shop. Check used by dates on, on food packets. And I suppose... Don't buy one that's close to you by date. Then when you bring them home, put maybe the, the new food at the back of your fridge and the older items at the front of your fridge like they do in the supermarket. And then I suppose as food reaches the use by date, make sure that you eat it, you cook it or you freeze it. And this will, I suppose, avoid unnecessary waste. Yeah, freezing items. I mean, if you if you have purchased something and you suddenly realise, oh, I didn't use that. I was planning on using that for dinner today and I've gone with something else and the use-by date is going to be another two days and you're not going to get around to it, stick it in the freezer. It's perfectly safe to put it in the freezer or either cook it and then if you can get it for the next three days as well if you want to do that, that's another option. Will that extend the life, life of use-by by cooking it? Yes, so if you have, have a raw product, if you cook it, then you can put, cool it down, put it back in your fridge and you can use it within the next three days. Okay, okay. Obviously, if you freeze it, it'll give you much longer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but with the rising cost of living, we all need to watch what we're buying, don't we? And, and therefore then, hopefully using what you buy and not throwing items out. Yeah, it's just thinking ahead, I suppose, and not buying food that's near used by date or use it before or, as I say, freeze it or cook it. Okay. All right. Listen, thank you for that, um, Mairead, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, Good morning to you. That is uh, Dr. Mairead McCann, Food Science Technical Executive with uh, Safe Food. So I have a feeling we're going to see more supermarkets going down this route of the best before. So it's the big differences between the best before and the use by. But I've just spotted one listener says, if my cheese has green on it, I cut off the green. Uh, but I don't throw away the rest of the block of cheese. Uh, I was brought up in the 70s, says this texter. No such thing as throwing food out in those days. OK, if milk smells off, says this texter, I would discard that. Otherwise, we eat and we don't throw items out. And I'm wondering, with the rising cost of living and with the rising cost of all of our basic food items, it'll be interesting to see. You'd have to talk to a bin company. Will we see less items been thrown away? way I think you know we're going to get a little bit more savvy when we're heading to the supermarket but I think listening to Dr Maureen McCann there the most important thing when you are out shopping is to the use buy as opposed to the best before but on the use buy to make sure that if you buy you are buying items that is used by date that you will use them by those dates or else if you've got a freezer stick them into the freezer and just because I say because of rising food costs I I would really worry um, about how families are going to manage 
but uh, but the knock-on effect could be that we will be seeing less food thrown away. I mean, a million tons a year. It's just it's it's absolutely immoral, isn't it, that we throw away, and we're all we're all guilty of it. I think it's only since I've got one of those composting bins for my uh, bin company, and it's only when you're putting the because you're separating all the food that you're throwing you're throwing away. It's only then that you start to see how much food that you throw away. And I think it's only since I got that composting bin in, I've really started tried to make a concerted effort not to be throwing items in into the bin and see are there other ways you can use up the food or can you get it into the freezer rather than putting it into a bin that ultimately then you have to pay you've paid for to buy the items now you're putting it into the bin and you have to pay for the items to be taken away 0818103103 and just by the way on food prices this is this is a breaking news just in prices in Ireland estimated to have risen by 9.6% in the year to July 2022. That's according to Eurostat. The, so 9.6. I don't know on that. We'll probably get more information from Eurostat with those figures because uh, I know the last time we were just above the European average for price rises. And of course, the last time we looked at the Eurostat poll when it came out, we were top of the list for a variety of items. We were of all of the European countries that are involved in the survey that's conducted by Eurostat, we came out top of the list as being the most expensive. At one stage, it was Denmark was the most expensive. And then, of course, we tied with Denmark. And then I think it was on the last survey, we went above uh, Denmark. So if we're at 9.6, I think that's higher than it was last month, which would probably mean we're going to be top of that survey list again. And it's kind of one of those survey lists that you don't want to be on top of. 0818103103 just on food Michael says hi Patricia I find I, if I freeze my milk it lasts away longer rather than keeping it in the fridge because yeah milk is one of those ones I mean I'm in a household that would never have milk go off because we, we seem to drink an awful lot of milk so milk would never go off uh, in my household but I n- never realised that you could freeze milk until I was going away on holidays a few years ago and you know the way you clear out everything that's in your in the fridge and when you're winding up to going away on holidays do you start making sure that there's nothing in the fridge and then the bits that are left has to be disposed of or if you can pass them on to a family member you do but I remember as I was about to leave the house a couple of years ago to go on holidays I discovered there was two full cartons of milk and I couldn't get them to anybody else and I did a quick Google search can you freeze milk and I said you could so I said no, I'll pop them in the freezer and see what happens and I did and I came back and defrosted them and they were absolutely perfect they took a while to defrost now I have to say but the milk was absolutely absolutely perfect so yes for, for anyone who does have a lot of milk that they find goes off if you're in a household that you don't drink a lot of milk or you bought extra milk for whatever reason it does uh, freeze uh, thank you for that Michael by text 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie we are into the final weekend of, of this year's Love Island which I have to admit to I've been glued to this year. So to to chat to us about how this season's Love Island has unfolded, I'm joined by our showbiz man, Crossy from FM 104. Got a text, Crossy, got a text. Good morning to you. 
what are we going to do next week? When I, we don't know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm already sort of looking around saying, is there anything else I can, I can pick <laughs> up on? Is there anything else I, I can watch? Um, do, do you feel the right couples have ended up in the final shake-up? I do, I do. And you know what? I kind of think they probably should have wrapped it up maybe a week earlier. You can kind of feel this season was very explosive in different parts. But then coming into the last week, it's kind of going, oh, lads. As much as we all like sitting down at 9 o'clock every night to watch it on Virgin Media 2, there's something amiss that you find that maybe this week should have been last week, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's a bit drawn out. It is a bit and drawn out. So it's been eight weeks. Eight weeks on TV. And um, I think we were all hoping for a bit of normality. And we definitely certainly got that. We got the bitchiness. We got the giving out. We got the couples falling in love. We got, you know, when Adam came back in and caused the stir, I think everybody was like, wow, the violent are really trying to stir the pot this year. And I think they did it very well, you know. The most controversial part of the season, though, and, and I think the one that will be spoken about afterwards, was the bullying of Tasha by some of the boys. Do the producers have to be really careful around issues like this? Yeah, I think so. And, and the scary thing about it is, right, they're trying to do a story. I remember there was a fellow I know who used to be on Big Brother. And he said, well, according to him, he says, the producers would say, right, we've got the storylines before the cast come in. So we're looking for people who can fit our storyboard. So when they get in, you know, you kind of know where they're going and what they're doing. But with everything that's gone on with all past Love Island people, producers of Love Island, as much as they want a bit of troublesome or a bit of wildness, they all have to be so careful because it's had a really troubled past over the last while. So I, I, I think they got over it quite quickly. You know, I, I think... I, I would presume there was conversations off camera to say this isn't coming out well on TV. We need to kind of, you know, make it a tad bit better than what it is. And I, I think I think they have handled this quite a good bit compared to previous years. They probably would have went with it a bit more if it wasn't for, you know, all this be kind and all that sort of stuff. And they've kind of flattened it out. And um, I think we'll miss it. I think we're going to miss it. I think I, I think the final is going to be very shocking. Um, Ekin Sue and David Ekin Sue and David A are going to be um, the winners the final they're I going think to, so. uh, listen I th- you don't even have to I, I don't think you have to think about it they are, uh, to me they are the clear winners now can I tell you I, I don't think it's going to be winners I think she's going to rob the money ah uh, no I, way oh. I'm telling you I'm going to put I, I'm going to put a tenner on it I guarantee it she is going to run away with that 50 grand she's playing a game she knows the score You've probably seen so many episodes where you can kind of feel like she's a presenter. I know certain people want her to be the presenter next year over Laura. She's straight laced. She knows what she wants. And I know it was in the papers today that apparently last March she was talking about going on to the show to her friends. And they've got a text message of her saying, I'm going to rob that money if I get to the final. And I hope she does. It'd be a bit of crack if she does. Has Has that ever happened? It's never happened. No, it's never happened. So it'll be really good to see something like that happen because it gives the show a curveball and it means the last episode. She will be known forever the way everyone knows Maura. They know Molly May and Tommy who are still together from a couple of years ago. And Ekansu will be etched onto the Love Island. What horrificness, the fact that she sprung Davide along and at the very end she said, right, I'm taking this money and I'm running down the road. And of course, it's there's one winner of out of the couple and it's the winner makes that decision yeah yeah, that yeah decision. Just, just to remind but then did, did you see their date last night I that, I was in tears watching it yeah see again I, I'm, I have got my suspicions now I don't know I don't know what it is I've been watching it recently and I've been like 
she's definitely going to run away with this money. She gets to the final and she wins it. She is going to say, good luck to you. And she's just, she's great television. She's great television. And I think that's why we all like her. And I think, you know, if you're listening right now and you watch Love Island, you probably want her to rob the money. You're kind of going, do you know what? Wouldn't it be a better end? Oh, no, I want the love story. I want... So so you're saying then you don't think Ekansua and Davide were last on the outside? Absolutely not. Oh. Absolutely not. I see. See, I'm a romantic at heart. I like to think that there is a real connection (laughs) and they look so good together and they'll have beautiful babies and they'll be just fantastic and they have that fiery relationship and then every time they have a fight, he'll take to the kitchen and he'll cook her a carbonara. (laughs) And I love the way he took to the kitchen every time to cook for her. He's such a gorgeous man. There, There is there is talks that he could be the next celebrity chef. Which would be great, you know, and you have to kind of think what what's next for them afterwards. You've, you've got shows like This Morning. Um, you've got other shows on Channel 4 and all that. And the chef route would probably be a very clever route for him because the money they can make is amazing afterwards. The rest of them have never done the food route. I know one of them has done a music route and done quite well. you got the modelling. But we haven't really had a chef of Love Island. So can you imagine all the money he could make out of that? Well, he'd be, be he'd be like um, Gino DeCampo. He'd be, he, you know, and look how, how, how loved he is. Now, can you imagine you were Gino De Campo right now when you're looking yeah, at something it. like this? Breaking yeah, breaking it. Wouldn't you? Because they'd have yeah. to, because I'm a celebrity coming up now very soon as well, and there's only so many slots you can get on TV that are they going to be replaced? Remember, Scarlett Moffat was the golden girl in the UK after she won I'm a Celebrity, and yeah. she doesn't really do much now. No, so I, no. I think, you know, they have shelf lives, and I think, you know, Davide will do well, Ekansu will do well. I don't know about Sammy. I hope he does really well in it. I think Gemma owes could do very well out of this. She is one 19-year-old who really has her head screwed on. Yeah, she is. And I'd say she's had to. I think that's the, that's the thing. I think she's had to. And I think out of everyone that's in there, she's probably one of the people that, you know, is a bit more headstrong, could you say, and knows what she wants, but still nice and genuine underneath it all. But eight weeks, and that's this Monday night, the final well episode. Just by the way, do you think um, the Gemma Owens family will, will just move her... Uh, left of stage and say bye bye Luca oh absolutely and, and and if they don't I think the rest of us should as well I'm not a fan no. I'm not a fan I saw when he took down Mark Wright the other day I was kind of going why would you talk about somebody who's not in the series or not even in the show and say that he was ugly looking like it's just not a nice thing to do and saying that Mark Wright who's dating teen sorry married to um, Michelle, who was remember she was Tina in Coronation Street. I do, yeah. Michelle yeah. Keegan, yeah, saying that she wasn't good. Look, he wasn't good looking, and then she, yeah, she no, was punching. I'm he's, like, that's not a nice thing to say, especially on TV. Nasty piece of work. Nasty yeah. piece of work. Okay, so we will also it builds up to uh, the parents will go in at some stage, or the family members will go in at some stage over the weekend. So I, I, I think the way it's going to work now is there may be someone kicked out tonight or Sunday. It's looking like it could be tonight. And then the parents will go in then on Sunday and then that's the end of it on Monday. And Laura Whitmore will be live from there on Monday night. And that's when the big final happens. And here's hoping Egan Sue takes the money and runs. (laughs) <laughs> I'll be gutted I will be gutted but we will we will wait and see now there's another of course uh, programme that we must talk about where we have you have you on and that's the last ever episode of Neighbours it aired in Australia yesterday this is the end of an era for so many people and it's part of so many people's childhood growing up what's your thoughts on neighbour Neighbours do you know what it's actually it's really interesting I was going to talk about this earlier on we haven't really had a soap 
that has ended in times of social media. You know, you had Brookside ending years ago, you had Glen Rowe ending, but that's really it. Neighbours was up there with Fair City, Emmerdale, EastEnders, Carnation Street, and just to see that something as stable as that that's on every single day on your TV channel is no more. It's kind of scary when it's over and done with. You're kind of going, wow. Um, I watched the last episode. It aired this time yesterday uh, on um, in one of the Australian channels. And it's quite sad. Even if I started watching it again three weeks ago because I wanted to know what would happen in the final week. And it's beautiful how they did it. You know, certain times, like, I, I won't give away any spoilers, but when Paul Robinson, who's been in it for years, rang his son, who was in it about 10, 15 years ago, instead of ringing him on the phone, he Zoomed him. So that meant that he was back on the show. Um, That's so clever. Very, very clever. Now, I, I'm not, this isn't a spoiler because it's all over the news. Uh, remember Imagine Harold. Remember I do. Harold Bishop. Yeah. Madge passed away in it, what, 2001. But they wanted to get her back in it. So at a certain point, you're going to see on the final episode, Susan says about all the people who have come and gone. And when they mention the people who have come and gone, who appears as a ghost? Only Madge. <laughs> <laughs> and you're kind of going, maybe this is the reason why you're cancelled. It's so crazy and wild that they brought a ghost back. They even mentioned Bounce for the Dog, if you watched in the 90s the other day. Now, for, for people who are watching it, this is the important bit of news. It's ending tonight on Channel 5 in the UK, but it's not ending until next Wednesday on RTE1 and RTE2. So if you are watching it or you want to be like me and you know watch the last couple of episodes, you still have time. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on RT1 in at lunchtime, and in the evening time it's going to be on RT2. Um, it's just what it, they've had 180,000 scenes. It's been on for 37 years. I've got a couple of facts that you'll probably think, "What the hell?" They've had 35 nat- natural disasters. 35. Over, 35. Oh, I guess <laughs> worse. They've had 100 kidnapping or hostage situations. 115 vehicle-related incidents. 64 deaths. 487 mullets. <laughs> this is the final one. 10 to 15 people have risen from the dead. People at Neighbours don't know exactly how many. They think it's between 10 to 15. So All, all in Ramsey Street. And I think, you know, what? when we were like 80s and 90s, we didn't really know much in Ireland. You know, like, as in we didn't, not that many people, we were lucky enough to go on holidays to Spain or to even fly down as far as Australia. The very lucky few were able to do it. So we got an insight into a different country, completely different to Ireland, that had the weather opposite to us. And I think, you know, if you were saying, what does an Australian person look like? You think of Harold Bishop, you think of Susan Kennedy, you think of uh, Luke Harpenter, and even think of Home and Away. And, yeah, and I the think, accents, you know, the, 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 and the oh, Australian accents. It's so good. It's, and uh, I've, the last episode, you're going to really like it. Uh, if you're fans of Kylie Minogue and uh, Jason Donovan, you're going to smile as to how they're brought back into it. And then um, the last words are left with Susan Kennedy. Poor Susan, who's had to deal with Carl Kennedy and all those affairs throughout the years. The Lothario. Um, and th- 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 those final scenes, they will break your heart. And, uh, and like, let's remember, in its heydays, like, it was putting in something like 20 million viewers. So this is crazy. So in 1988, the, the wedding of uh, Charlene and uh, Jason Donovan's character got 20 million it was the third highest watched TV show in the UK in 1988. And the mad thing, what they say, the reason why this is even bigger than it is, 
is because this was shown in the afternoons on BBC One or BBC Two. Right. So all the other shows were shown at primetime television. So 20 people, 20 million people watched it at lunchtime. And they watched it. And the reason why they got married was because Australia and the UK and Ireland as well was so, you know, religious that it was it was seen, it, it was kind of looked at that you couldn't have two people moving in with each other Unless they and got not married. married. And they it's had to get diff- married. It's a different era, isn't it? Isn't it really it is. It's a different era. And, of course, uh, Neighbours, so many people became famous out of Neighbours. I mean, Jason Donovan and Kylie Minogue, you've mentioned Nashley and Brudier, oh, Delta Goodrum, Margot Robbie. You know what I mean? The Hemsworth brothers. Yeah. Like, it's just the list goes on here. and on. Yeah. And they're all in it, by the way. Brilliant. The last two or three episodes, you were going to see, I'd say, 99.9%. Bar the ones that were very bold after the left neighbours and are not, are, are not in it. There's reasons for that. They're not, they're not 90, welcomed back. Yeah. Okay, it's all 99%. about nostalgia. Okay, nice. all about nostalgia. Yeah. Crossy, listen, thank you. Pleasure as always no to chat to you. Have all. a lovely weekend. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is our showbiz uh, man, Crossy from FM 104. And he- You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, let me look at some of your commentary coming into the programme today. Somebody's picking up on a case that's it's on our news bulletin and it's uh, all over the papers today. And this is the latest coercive control case. This is a, as a survivor, a woman from Donegal is uh, speaking out after she took a case again of coercive control and a lot of other accounts of assault against a 36-year-old man who was jailed yesterday for 17 years for a course of control that lasted for six weeks. It was It's an unbelievable case. It's actually a very upsetting case uh, to read how one person can take over another person's life in su- such a short period of time. Anyway, one of our listeners is picking up on that and about the sentence that that fellow got yesterday for raping and course of control of that woman. He got 17 years and rightly so. But why didn't the guard that was convicted earlier in the week, why did he only get three months for his heinous uh, cr- crime? And also the fact that he stepped down from his job, I presume he's keeping his perks, i.e. his pension. Yeah, that has been confirmed. He's still getting his guard the pension. Why the different ruling for the case of the guards? If anything, he should have got way more as he knows about crimes and they're meant to be to protect people and not abuse his position of power. He destroyed that woman's life and he tried to destroy a family member's life also. Uh, what about the guard that helped him out by when that woman tried to get through to his superior the call was put through, through to him instead has anything happened to him more than just a slap on the wrist it seems that the guards are above the law that's the question I would like answered why can't the government make it legal so that they could track people's phone records because the way it is we'll have murderers and rape, rapists laughing in our face a 35 year old can get 17 years for his crime which happened over a period of six weeks and we have a 42-year-old Garda getting three years and three months for a massive crime that would make you sick to your stomach which happened over a period of three years. It's unbelievable and it should be reviewed if there's any justice in this country or will it be the laughing stock? We have EU laws overruling us but we can also overrule in certain circumstances otherwise there's no point in going to court. Now you're not the first uh, to say uh, how people were shocked that Paul Moody, that now former Garda only got three years 
years and three months for the course of control of his uh, former uh, partner and he could have got five years but he got three years and three months because he pleaded guilty but I looked into it after we were talking about it uh, during the week and it seemingly it's to do with what the former guard that Paul Moody was was charged with. The DPP accepted a plea of guilty from Moody to a single count of coercive control and that carries a maximum sentence of five years so the judge's hands were tied. He'd originally been charged with 35 offences relating to a four-year campaign of abuse directed against his woman, to his former partner who of course the add-on to that story was she, she's got stage four cancer, she's terminally uh, ill. Now they included assault, sexual assault, criminal damage, harassment and threats to kill. So it was originally planned to go to trial with all of those offences similar to what happened in court yesterday but the prosecutors were fearful that the victim wouldn't have been well enough to attend court by the time the case took place. Circuit courts are dealing with a larger than usual backlog of cases and there's also a shortage of judges and prosecutors believed that they were unlikely to get a trial date before the end of the year and even if the 43 year old woman who has stage 4 cancer was well enough to give evidence there was concerns about the impact that the process would have had on her health due to the length of her statement remember her statement ran to 26 to 260 pages she would likely have spent about a week in the witness box detailing everything that was contained in her statement Moody's abuse and um, several more days then being cross-examined and there was a concern that Moody would have delayed the case until the woman's health had uh, deteriorated so there just was a fear that she wouldn't have she might not have been alive and therefore he would have walked away and uh, not got not gotten anything so for that reason they went with the one charge of coercive control and of course did he box clever and know that he the maximum he could get was five years of course he did but yes when you when you put it against the case yesterday of the Donegal woman where that man now has been jailed for 17 years and rightly uh, so I can see how people are going to be trying to compare like with like, but that's the explanation. I, d- I did look into it earlier on in the week. 0818103103. We were talking about people being long term unemployed and why 15,000 people have been unemployed for 10 years or more and why they find it so hard to find work. Still getting in commentary on that. Hi, Patricia. Um, I am very annoyed. Job seekers are placed on various job activation schemes. I have done the TUS scheme, got nothing from it. I've been placed on job path three times and wasn't happy with the way I was treated on that particular course. I applied to various jobs, but with no success. I've applied online. I've made repeated phone calls. I've handed my CV into various employers, all with no joy. I've applied for full time work. I've applied for part time work. I've, I've applied for contract work. Again, no joy. Employers seem to be very picky at the moment. My theory is that they only seem to want students and non-nationals because they can pay them lower wages. Not everyone on the dole are state sponsors. Thanking you and that's my West Cork listener. And that's exactly the point in fairness that Breed O'Brien of the Irish National Organisation of the Unemployed was making. Some people really try desperately hard to get work and for just whatever reason they're not able to 
to secure it, be it because of the age of the person, lack of experience, whatever it is there. But yes, I accept there are and will always be people who just don't want to work. Mary in Charleville says too many people are getting money for nothing in this country. She knows of lots of people who don't want to work because if they do take up a full time job, they lose their social welfare payments. But it's the add ons that are tied in with the social welfare payment. Some people are entitled to fuel allowance with the children going back to school, this back to school allowance and people are fearful that they lose out on all of those uh, benefits by simply going to work and that's putting off some people from actually taking up work. 0818 103 103 and just on some other texts in um Oh, this is to do with food best before and use by that we discussed earlier on with uh, safe food. And I mentioned because Mike, one of our listeners, also said that he had put milk in the freezer and that it lasts much longer than having it in the fridge. And I said I did it a few years ago and I couldn't believe that you could freeze milk. Somebody says, yes, you can freeze milk, but it expands. Surely the container can break. See, when I Googled, could I freeze milk? That was the one thing they said. So what I had to do was I had to open. They were litre containers. I had to open them and take some of the milk out to allow room for it to expand if you put it in full. Yes, that is the problem. I should have added that on for anybody who was planning on freezing milk. Somebody from a Kinsale listener says, Patricia, just walk around Cork City any day of the week and see how much food is left behind on tables. It is a joke, the amount of food waste there is. And is that to do with portion sizes, I wonder? Do we, when we go into restaurants, are we expecting big table loads, big plate loads of food and then when it arrives, we can't eat it eat it all. I wonder, are we going to start what you will see in a lot of other countries, huge in America, because America have always have big portion sizes. And you will see if you're in any restaurant in America at the end of the meal as families are leaving, they all go away with doggy bags. And I'm wondering, will that start happening in this country as well? It does happen, I know, in some uh, restaurants. But is that to do with portion sizes? And do we expect too much or do restaurants give too much? And it ends up with huge food waste, waste, wastage. Good morning, Patricia. OMG, I put food and most of my shopping into the fridge and it stays fresher, longer and it doesn't go stale. When or oh when will all of these price rises, when are they going to uh, stop? 2022 will go down as the worst year bar none for all the high uh, prices. Have we not suffered enough through uh, COVID? Uh, yeah, everybody's noticing that on the uh, prices. But keeping things in the fridge is certainly making things last longer. The problem I would have there is I never seem to have room in my fridge, unfortunately. 0818 103 103. Now, Indy 22 kicks off today after the pandemic-induced break. Bastille, Fat Boy Slim and Rudimental are headlining the three-day event in Mitchellstown. C103's Ken Parrott says it's a festival for all ages and we sent Mairead Tuig along and to have a chat with those involved with Indy 2022. And first of all, uh, we hear her chatting with Michael Carr from the festival who said people from all over Ireland travel to Mitchellstown for this uh, weekend. But if you close A heck of a lot of people come down from Dublin, Waterford, Limerick, Tipperary, uh, you know, obviously big core contingent then as well. Um, but I mean it's it's it Mitchellstown is kind of well placed where 
you know, it's only an hour and a half or so to Dublin. You know, we're half an hour from Cork now. Limerick's only down the road. Tip, we can get over from Waterford. And, yeah, over the years, you find a lot of people coming from Europe, some from the UK then as well. Uh, and as the bands and headliners have gotten bigger, uh, you know, that attracts fans of those bands and they're, they're prepared to travel to see them. And there's a brilliant dance lineup this year, Fat Boy Slim, you know, probably being the, the, the main one there. Um, you know, there's always been a really good Irish uh, contingent here. Like, the lads have really helped develop Irish bands over the years. The likes of Codaline, um, Walking on Cars, Picture This... You know, they all had their first gigs, uh, our first festival gigs here. And I think all of them went on to play the main stage to headline the festival. The Coronas have had a great relationship with Indy over the years. They've headlined a couple of times. So it's always a good place to catch, you know, upcoming bands that in a couple of years' time, you know, you, you, hopefully you, you'll see them on bigger stages. Um, there's, you know, international music again. Bastille are here. Rudimental from the UK are over Friday night. Becky Hill, who was in Cork a few weeks back with the script. Daddy Frere, who I think is going to be brilliant, Icelandic musician. Um, so, you know, it's, it's got that nice international flavour. But as always, like the Irish music is the, yeah, is, is sort of the bulk of, the, of what's going on. Do you know, years ago, there used to be a lot more music festivals than there is now. Um, a lot of the festivals have got very niche. Even Electric Picnic, it, it kind of got caught up in its own identity and went decided whether right or wrong to go down that upcoming bands and you know you go along you see someone you've never heard before and you find out they're absolutely amazing and that's what Electric Picnic is then you got all those other festivals that really followed the success of Electric Picnic where you had Witness and Oxygen they've never really been replaced which was just a couple of stages of nothing but popular music stuff that's that's making the sales acts you know acts that are up and coming but acts that the record companies got behind and that to me is what independence is going to fill that void it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and we're just very lucky and maybe sometimes are guilty of taking it for granted that it's on our own doorstep but if you look at the lineup for this year i mean it's going to be amazing i remember seeing fat boy slim when he dj'd in cork in two separate gigs he played in Reardon's and he played in the Old Oak as a DJ but it was part of Arthur's Day and it was all done the one night and it was absolutely super so I think he's going to be he's the one I want to see I want to see Rudimental I'm a huge fan of Jerry Fish he's here over the weekend I want to see him and and the list goes on and on and on it's, it's a great festival camping is hilarious because people just it's like they've moved out for a couple of weeks and glamping is the new thing now so you nearly have nice showers and we're all very nice and, and, and well to do but no it is what people just and the younger they are, the more they seem to bring. Older people who you'd think would be a bit more worried about it, they're like, Ash, look, it's only two or three days, I'll be fine. But the younger people are really, they want to bring the kitchen sink. Okay, thanks to Mairead for that. And that's our own C103, Ken, Ken Parrott there at the end. You can see how excited he is about Indy. And actually, I've just spotted a text in from Marie to say, Hi, Patricia, I've just passed through Mitchell. It's great to see the buzz starting for the weekend. But my concern is there's an advertising sign for Lidl at the Fairgrove Fear Gro- roundabout and it blocks the views of drivers coming for for traffic coming from the right you can't see if you're first in the queue or not says Marie maybe somebody from the council can take a look at that because that's going to be a very very busy roundabout over the weekend and when Mairead uh, was in Mitchellstown earlier today she got to chat with some of the people who are arriving nice and early for Indy 2022 I'm looking forward to see Bastille Rudimental and Becky Hill Bastille Rudimental and Shane Pod The Blizzards Leah Hart and Casey Rudimental Bastille and Becky Hill What are things you can't go camping without A sleeping bag A tent <laughs> uh, Boots and a blanket A pillow Oh I didn't bring a pillow 
a sleeping bag, tent and a mattress. <laughs> seeing everyone a weekend away basically and seeing a lot of acts I suppose. Seeing people who you wouldn't usually see because of college and people moving away and stuff. It's like a place where people can like come back together and see each other again. That was beautifully raining this weekend. Will you still enjoy it in the rain? No. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I'm going all out. Yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll struggle on, I suppose. I love the girl who bought the mattress with her and then the friend in the background, oh, I forgot my pillow. <laughs> and there is rain. You can't have a festival without a rain. So good luck to everybody involved in Indy 2022 uh, and to everybody going. We hope you have an absolute ball. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Bingo is on as usual tonight in Middleton GAA. There's dancing tomorrow night to Dermot Lines. That's just come in from Marion. Bingo is on in Mallow GAA complex at tonight, 8.15. Jackpot is €2,100. It's in 43 cause. 50-50 draw on the night with all funds raised going to the running of teams for the coming season. The social dancing in Kilbehany Community Centre tonight. Music is by Michael Sexton and the usual teas will be served. The annual Festival of the Sea that opens in Castletown Bear today and it's on today and tomorrow. You can go to the social media page for a full list of events and best of luck to everybody in Ahakista. Their festival kicks off this evening with the legendary Graeme Norton table quiz fully sold out. Tomorrow there'll be a guided walk on Sheep's Head and on Sunday there'll be water events including common try kayaking and stand up paddle boarding. And Kildallery Bingo that will be held in the newly renovated old store in the Creamery Yard tonight. Doors open at 7, eyes down at 8 and they still have the option for people to play inside or outside in their car and they've got a jackpot of €600. Euro. And one for tomorrow if you want to learn to paint a donkey with a professional artist. It's all going ahead at the Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarroll. They've got a morning and an afternoon session. It's €50 euro per person, but for your €50, euro, canvas, easel, acrylic paints, paintbrushes, all will be provided, plus ref- refreshments, and you will then receive an adoption pack, which is worth €25. Euro. You can book a place through their website, www.thedonkeysanctuary.ie. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. So many wonderful local festivals are happening across this bank holiday weekend. So please get out, enjoy and support them as the majority are run by volunteers. To preview one of them, I'm joined by Jim Griffin of the Roberts Cove Vintage Festival. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Jim. Good afternoon, Patricia. You're very welcome. Now, obviously, a break for the last two years. Is there great excitement for next Sunday? We had a huge festival organised again for Sunday. Uh, we didn't have anything the last two years on account of the pandemic. So we have a huge festival organised. We have, um, on the main stage, we have the Joy Kings are playing at one o'clock. They're a, a country band. Um, at a quarter to three, we have the official opening by RTE's Brian O'Donovan. He's coming down specially to open the festival for us. And at three o'clock, we have Gene and the Champions playing on the main stage for about two or two and a half hours. So that should be well welcome. A lot, lot, lot of great uh, uh, musical uh, acts for sure. Uh, how many years has this festival been running, Jim? It has been running now for um, 15 years. 
Is, 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 so it, is skipped, it that we long? Skipped, we skipped the last two or eight, but we had, this is actually our 13, going out of the 15 years. And is it has it grown over the years? It has grown. It gets bigger and bigger every year. Does and it? This, year, this year it's bigger than ever, really. Yeah. We have a huge lineup. Um, we have all time trashing. We have sheep shearing. We have steam engines. Uh, we have a monster raffle. Trade stalls, food stalls. This year we have um, something that we haven't had before. It's the best vintage dressed person. Oh, the best vintage dressed person. Okay, so you're saying so a- oldest, any you're saying any era, somebody can any dress. Any era, okay. any era at all. The oldest, the oldest clothes you can find in the wardrobe. <laughs> <by> the wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> have you many of them now tucked up at the back of the wardrobe, Jim? Uh, I don't have any myself. Do you not? No. Do you not? <laughs> no. you're, you're, you're too but modern sure, for that. So I'm sure. I'm sure somebody will find something all right. All right. So that's that. that that's a nice twist to put to, to put it, out. It, it, it will be interesting anyway. Yeah. And Camille, you've 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 helicopter rides. We have helicopter rides as well. Yeah, out over Cork Harbour and the old head of Kinsale. Have you done that uh, before? We have done that before. Yeah, and to the huge attraction. Actually. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was one year there. There was with the crowd waiting to go for the spin in the helicopter there to bring a second one. Do you think? That's great. Yeah, people love so, the chance to get up in a, to, to get up in a helicopter. They do, they do, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. So they do you're just, there. fingers crossed that it'll be fine. I think Sunday will be dry. I think yeah. they will. I will think it? some rain on Saturday, you know, Saturday night, but I think Sunday will be dry again. So hopefully. We have, um, we have a car run and tractor run as well. We have a car run from the GA grounds in Belgoli. Registration there is at 11 o'clock, and we have a tractor run from the beach in Roberts Cove, and registration there is at 11 o'clock. And boat runs are doing the scenic route along the south coast and back to the festival field. Do they have to be vintage? And not really, no. no. They don't. Okay. They don't have to be vintage, no. No, no. Um, they'll come back to the field then to join more vintage cars, tractors, machinery, machinery new and old. We have a display from the Carrigline Main Shed. We have a, a dog show, a monster dog show, um, which is a huge show every year. Um, there'd be a huge interest in it. We have the defibrillator displays from the Ardra Malta throughout the day. So there's something, there's something there something for Something there for everyone, for, for sure. What about uh, entry prices? Have you managed to keep them the same? Have you had to increase... The, the entry fee is fifteen euro, and children are free. Okay, all right, because I know I know a lot of festivals, because of insurance costs and everything else going right. up, it's it's really hard, isn't it, to keep the entry fee as low as you can? It is. We used to be twelve fifty, all right, but we just we had to increase it. No to choice. Euro yeah. this, okay, this okay, but with so. with with something there for everyone, and with the children going free, it's uh, that's uh, that that is a uh, good yeah, offer. It is. Definitely, yeah. Okay, so what time do proceedings get underway in Roberts Cove? The gates open at 11 o'clock. 11, okay. The music starts at 1 o'clock. The official opening with Brian O'Donovan at a quarter to three. And Jean and the champions then from three o'clock until about half five. Okay, and as you say, there's something there for everyone, but there's food as well, so you can go along hungry and get fed. You you can indeed. There's food stalls and there's trade stalls and... Oh, there's, there's lots of stuff happening in the field, yeah. Okay, have you a big committee involved in it? We have, there's um, about 10 of us all together, yeah. Well, it's not, that's uh, not... Oh, uh, yeah, and yeah. Every, everybody does their bit, so yeah. it makes it easy on everybody then, yeah. Get out and support it, that's what it's all Get about. Robertscovevintage.com, you've got a great website if people want to uh, check right, it out. Yeah. Okay, so listen... 
all roads will lead to Robert's Cove on they, Sunday. They will. Enjoy, Jim. Very good. Thanks, and thanks a million Thank for uh, joining us. Uh, Jim Griffin, part of the organising committee for the Roberts Cove Vintage Festival. But as I say, lots and lots of similar events like that. If there's one on in your area, please, please try and support it. Just a couple of your final texts uh, coming in. Patricia, if I don't finish my food in the restaurant, I always take it home in your talkie bag. Well done, well done. Not that I can afford to be eating out that often now, says this uh, texter. Hi Patricia, earlier one of your listeners says that that dog in County Roscommon the Jack Russell, uh, Donald Rogers dog that uh, bit the woman who was outside the house, that that dog should be put down. And the reasoning that the earlier texter had used was that if this dog gets away and isn't put down, then other people will use it as, uh, you know, precedent will be set and would have dogs biting people all over the country. And this listener feels put the dog down and be done with it. End of. Uh, the uh, well, somebody there was a North Cork listener somebody says that listener who wants the dog put down why exactly did the dog bite that woman no dog bites unless it was fearful obviously that North Cork listener isn't a dog lover it says a lot that somebody wants to have the dog put down well the woman is claiming the woman from Clonmel is claiming that she didn't do anything unprovoked and that he bit her at the back of her leg and he didn't she didn't you know she claims that she didn't do anything and of course nobody Kim the dog herself can't tell exactly what happened but I suppose the woman would have had witnesses because she was with a group of other people but it just looked like the dog got frightened because he was asleep in the garden and then obviously woke up to the noise outside the gate was that enough to provoke a bite I don't know 0818103103 Hi Patricia I'm a farmer listening in Dunmanway Michael Collins will be turning in his grave at what Fine Gael has done to the Irish farmers with the sign off on the emissions yesterday is it time to call off the ploughing match in September and for farmers and the agri sector to take to the streets let us follow what our Dutch colleagues have done we all need to stand together says that listener in Dunmanway thank you for that and then Councillor Declan Hurley says hi Patricia just in response to the AIB announcement today this is what I meant from Colin Hunt earlier on who came out and said we got it wrong hands up he said we got it wrong and he's guaranteeing that as long as he's the chief executive of AIB they will not return to this issue and they will not try to make those 70 banks uh, cashless everything will remain as uh, is well Declan Hurley says that he welcomes that news and that announcement from Colin Hunt but Declan makes an interesting point Declan says I would urge all AIB customers and he says himself being one that we boycott lodgement and withdrawal machines in in branches as much as is practical and demand that we use the counter services for a percentage of lodgements or withdrawals going forward as the saying goes use it or lose it that way they, the bank can't use a reduction in figures to remove a service after all that it, after all that is what they are trying to do. When you walk in the door, they're trying to guide you straight to machine to do your your banking. If we all stand together and say, no, I don't want to talk to machine. I want to speak to a human being. And if everybody insists on that, then the footfall will have increased in the bank and they'll see the counter services will have gone up and it will be a way of securing, for sure, securing it going forward. 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp. 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103.
to be say good afternoon to Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And uh, you're very welcome. And by the way, congratulations. You had incredible figures. I did, yeah. At the, uh, at the weekend. They were unreal. It's nice to know that Un- people are listening. Unreal, of course they are. OK, now you went... Uh, ditto, by the way, to you too. Thank May you. May I reply you, uh, the you. same? Our highest, well done. highest listenership figures ever for saying Extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, right across the day. Not maintaining them. Okay. All right, let's take a look at uh, some movies that you went along to see. You went along to see the new Minions movie. And I have to say, I am a fan of the Minions. Good. I find them very funny. And you also saw a second movie called The Grey Man. But let's take a quick trailer from the Minions. Huh? I have been captured. But my Minions will save me. <laughs> Unless they don't. <laughs> I think there's one sentence, I think, well, in that's English. It, that's it. I was just going to say, you're either into the Minions or you're not. And I have to fess up and say, it was many years ago on a trip to Orlando. Uh, I'm thinking Universal, is it, where the Minions, yes. yeah. Um, I'd never seen a Minions movie uh, and went into one of the rides going, what is this all about? And yeah. then said, oh, I better go check it out. And then it was out of that then I became a fan of the Minions. I just find I just find them funny. OK, this is the latest Minions, The Rise of Gru. Yeah, this is the second one about young Gru, about 10-year-old Gru. You know, there were, okay. there were a couple of Gru movies to begin with, then they had a prequel. Uh, and so this is the sequel to the prequel, if okay. that makes any sense to yeah. you. Uh, and in between, of course, we've also had a Minions movie on their own. Yeah. Uh, you might remember a couple of years ago. Yeah. To me, that's one of the funniest films I've ever yeah. seen. It 100%. Really, I mean, the thing is, is that uh, I, see, I love slapstick. I love all of that. Obviously, they don't speak English. Uh, the voice is done by, all the voices are done by one man, by the way, a man by the name of uh, Pierre Caffin. And, uh, he, That's incredible. Yeah, he did the voice. He, he directed the first couple of movies and he just does the voice of every single one of the minions. It's oh. just something that he did as a kid and he decided to give them that voice. The other thing, there's a, there's a few things I love about the minions, right? First of all, I love the fact that they don't have exotic names. They're all called Joe yeah. and Dave. And that makes me laugh. What also makes me laugh is the fact that, uh, you know, one of the characters, for example, has um, has uh, has has braces in his teeth, for example. Yeah. I love those kind of little details. And I love the fact as well that it's just complete slapstick. You know what I mean? And, and children I love just adore them. Well, the, the, the showing that I went, I went with uh, my daughter. We went along. The kids had an absolute ball. And I actually don't think this is as funny as the original um, kind of standalone um, Minions movie. That was the one where they went to, to Britain. Yeah. They went to Buckingham Palace. Uh, the Kidnap the Queen. It is one of the funniest films and I've actually, ever seen. I remember being at that uh, movie, not with children now, I was with another adult, and I got the biggest laugh out of watching the, oh, the, the children's reaction this morning. It's just pure slapstick, oh, you know what I mean? I mean it is. It's, it's the Keystone Cops, do you yeah. know what I mean? I mean, that's yeah. what it is. And I love the fact also that they, they don't kind of patronise kids. They look because these, even though the Minions love each other, they are prone to violence every now and then. Do you mm. know what I mean? They're not, you know, they, they, they won't stop from hitting one of the other Minions over the head with a, a dumbbell do you know what I mean and that is funny do you know what I mean and uh, there are moments in this as well where I think it did reach the level of that first Minions uh, standalone movie there's, there's a scene where they go to Jaws for example and they laugh their way through the whole thing <laughs> and that makes me laugh yeah. I don't know why but it does because I love Jaws uh, oh the, well they just found it funny they thought it was hilarious <laughs> 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 They've set off this stink bomb. 
So everybody has to leave the cinema so they have it all to themselves. And I just love that kind of silliness, do you know what I mean? And there's also a lovely scene, for example, they have to go... Gru gets kidnapped, by the way, by, by some bad guys, okay. and they bring him to San Francisco. So the film is basically a kind of a road trip of the minions trying to get to San Francisco. And so <laughs> a couple of the minions decide to hijack this plane. And it, the sequence is so ridiculous and so stupid and so funny. And I loved that sequence. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. It's when Gru was on uh, screen, it's when I was kind of a little bit more kind of disappointed. Oh. I don't particularly like that character. I never really did. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. And that was, when, yeah. that was when the cinema kind of, the, 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 the noise level kind of Drops. just kind of dropped a little bit when he was on screen. Uh, but when the minions are on screen, you know, you have to enjoy it. You have to love it. And there's loads of kind of in-jokes. There's lots of references to movies like Jaws and many, many more. I love, there's little kind of things like, for example, Jean-Claude Van Damme is in the film and he plays a lobster. So he's Jean-Claude, C-L-A-W-E-D. Oh, I yeah. mean, come on. Yeah. And also uh, Dolph Lundgren is in the film. He's not vengeance, he's svengeance <laughs> because he's Swedish, do you know what I mean? So there's loads of gags being thrown at you all the time. The, the animation is extraordinary. What I also really liked about it too is that uh, Alan Arkin is in it. He plays this ca- character called Wild Knuckles and it's an older character and that's one of the things. I mean, we know that Hollywood has been trying to open its doors to everybody over the last couple of years and they've learned a lot from that. But very rarely in, uh, for example, cartoons or animated films do we see an older character and mm. he's obviously an older character because he's got a white beard and, and it was good to see that and there are lovely moments between him and Steve Carell as grew in the film and uh, it deals with that kind of relationship as well as having the mayhem from the Minions so I don't think it's as funny as, as the, the early standalone Minions film but look the kids in the film uh, in the cinema well, had a great time and that's all that matters I enjoyed it as well as the, the daughter we had a good time uh, I'd certainly recommend it Is this the movie that teenage boys are dressing up in suits? That's what yeah exactly yeah there, there weren't any other my, my, my one but I know that I initially some of the cinemas decided to ban them because they felt as though they were kind of taking away from the kind of experience of, of going to the Minions but for they were the doing s- for the smaller children exactly but they were doing nothing wrong they okay. were dressed they were dressed very smartly and they were going to see the film why? Um, it became a kind of a TikTok kind of a thing. Oh, um, right. It yeah. isn't anything that isn't a scene in the movie. No, well, no. no, well, no, not at all. I mean, the thing is, is that it was just that, you know, these well-dressed young men going to the cinema, yeah. not causing any problems. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and and I think that happened initially where there was a kind of a resistance from some of the cinemas in England and yeah, in America. Because, because I think some of the t- some of the young kids, I think, kicked off and were throwing things. I think that happened at a cinema. Yeah. And then the knock-on effect was, is everybody going to start doing that? But then that? the cinemas kind of warmed to them and actually got to the stage where cinemas were inviting them to their Come own in. showing, for yeah. example. So, yeah. like, there was nothing, absolutely nothing sinister about it at all. Okay. All right. So, mark it out of 10. I'll give it seven. Seven out of 10. The rise, minions, the rise of group, but certainly if you have smallies in the household, they will love it. It'll be something for you to do this weekend. Now, The Grey Man is your second movie, Ryan Gosling. Uh, it is. Uh, it's on Netflix, and it's the most, with Netflix threatening to put up their prices, which I think they're going to do. They're also threatening to have advertising, for example, uh, as well on their streaming service. And yet they've spent $200 million on this film. I mean, it's their most expensive film. And a lot of the action films they've made over the last few years have been very, very expensive indeed. And, you know, when you're watching this, and I did enjoy it, I want to make that quite clear, you know, it might have been better if they just pared it back a little bit. Maybe it's not spent as much 
uh, money on the film. And so Especially they when they seem to be losing subscribers and losing money. And then they wouldn't have to put their prices up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the, what I was watching because there's so much waste watching this film. There were so many scenes that uh, it, was, it was completely unnecessary, two hours long. Uh, basically, this is written, uh, this is made by uh, the Russo brothers who uh, made the Avengers movies. And um, and obviously they've been watching what Michael Bay's been doing over the last couple of years. And they've decided, okay, let's, let's just outdo Michael Bay. Now, Michael Bay's films are all turned up to 11. What the Russo brothers are here they've turned it up to 12 so all the explosions are bigger all the set pieces are bigger all the, the guns are bigger and it's just in your face the whole time I mean it's just this noise of, of action in your face and maybe if it was a little bit more character driven maybe take a little, little less of the CGI out I think it would have been a much better film and then they wouldn't have had to spend 200 million dollars uh, on this film but it is all there on screen that uh, we should point that out uh, so Ryan Gosling plays this character of six who, uh, who works for the CIA Somebody at one stage says, uh, why are you called six? He says, well, 007 was taken. So, oh. they, you know, so there's lots of reference to what this film is all about. So basically the Russo brothers have looked at Bond, they've looked at the Bourne Identity, they've looked at the John Wick films, and they've basically taken all of that and just sandwiched it into this great big, huge... I wouldn't say mess of a film because the thing about it is that you, uh, somebody turned to me, I was talking to somebody about it, and they said, well, why is it you don't like the Michael Bay films where this is like a My Michael Bay film turned up to 12? The thing about Michael Bay films is there's a sense of kind of sleaziness to his films, which isn't here. There's a kind of a sense of fun here, as if, look, we know we're all having a good time. And so I wasn't offended really by a lot of it, apart from one scene. And there's one, there's an interrogation scene, which is really horrible. Actually, I, again, I watched this with the daughter. Uh, she said, I can't watch this and walked out of the uh. room, which is a terrible shame. Take that out, and 12 plus could watch this film with their grandfathers and granddads. Um, so, and there wasn't a need for it. There was a complete, yes. I mean, it was horrible. It really, you don't see anything, but it's, it's, it's it's there, it's in your head, it's in your mind and you, you know, it's, 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 it's not a very nice scene but that was the only scene really where I was offended there's a, there's a, there's a scene with a, an aeroplane um, which is completely CGI'd I don't know what, I often wonder how the cinematographers feel because they travel to Eastern Europe and some of the shots are beautiful and the cinematographer kind of, you know, you know, produces these beautiful shots on screen and yet when they do the CGI aeroplane scene for example, uh, the look of the film completely changes and I wonder did he have control over that because it looks almost like black and white and the CGI isn't great and it's not a very good scene. It's not very well directed. And I remember my daughter turning to me and said, I've just watched this scene. I've no idea what happened. That's how badly directed it is. They could have taken that scene out. It, it, I presume it was very, very expensive. And anyway, it's, it's, it's a direct lift anyway from Point Break, the Keanu Reeves films that we saw a few years ago. And there's a few CGI film uh, scenes like that which are completely unnecessary. Um, you've got Ryan Gosling in it who he's just one of these CIA operatives who just can't seem to die. He gets stabbed about 15 times. He gets hit in the face about a, a 150 times. Has he won Bruce? on his face no it's almost like the directors went well we can't have Ryan Gosling all bruised up you know what I mean that beautiful face has got to stay as it is um, Chris Evans plays the bad guy brilliantly and um, Anna de Armas did you see the most recent Bond movie by the way no she was so I'm great not, I'm not a Bond fan alright oh, yeah. really oh, no. okay. uh, she kicked bottom in that film okay. and she does it here again and you know when she straps a bazooka to her shoulder <laughs> you, okay, you go alright I'm in I'm fine so look it's big it's huge it's noisy it's violent and and, um, and it's pretty entertaining. Okay, so because I read somewhere that Chris Evans was originally was considered for the lead role, but he declined. He wanted to be the villain. He wanted to play the villain, <laughs> and he does so brilliantly. And we well know done. he's a villain. Do you know how we know he's a villain? Uh, because he doesn't wear socks. Okay. <laughs>
No, no villain will ever wear socks. The grey man, mark it out of ten. I still, uh, look, it was entertaining. I'll give it eight. Eight out of ten. All right. Okay, that's the grey man. Listen, thank you for that. And I'll You're let welcome. you go so you can get ready because uh, Mark will be moving in here, uh, taking over for the uh, afternoon. So that's the grey man and minions, the rise of uh, Gru. Just a couple of quick texts in. Hi, uh, Patricia. I agree with Councillor Declan Hurley to demand counter services. If you go into a bank, the staff themselves shouldn't be pushing people to these machines after all this means people losing their jobs to machines we should all be doing everything we can to avoid using machines and ongoing for the big weekly shop Jim says I gave up doing the big weekly shop at the supermarket something I've always done since we started out our married life together was to do a big weekly shop we'd spend maybe a hundred quid or more a week now I shop every day so I'm just buying for what I need so yesterday I spent 14 euro on shopping that's enough for two days dinners I find it very useful I find it a way to save money there's no waste and there's no trying to stuff the freezer with food that you bought in the supermarket just because it said three for ten euro you're buying with your eyes instead of your needs so that's where I leave you for today thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Mark as I said in Fort Nick talk to you on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock until then enjoy your bank Fort holiday weekend on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Clean Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.